0: You're listening to episode number 19 of the Grind and Be Grateful podcast. Today, we are getting all of our facts straight about periods and birth control in all things women's health. You guys have been asking for an episode around these topics for a while now, and I found just the gal for the job. Today's guest, Nicole Jardim, really delivered the goods. She is known as the period girl, not even kidding, and she is insanely knowledgeable about all things, you guessed it, periods, hormones, birth control, all of those fun girly things that we all experience all the time time. But here's the thing, in our society, we are conditioned to dread our periods, blame our hormones, and basically fight against our bodies our whole lives. And Nicole is here to set things straight and show us how amazing and cool the female body is. And you will finish this episode with a newfound love and respect for that body of yours. I can promise you that. And Nicole is also going to break down common period problems, reason why we experience period problems in the first place, the triggers this crazy drug that we call birth control and so much more. And as much as we tend to shy away from these topics as women, this stuff is stuff that we need to know. So please do not let this be one of those times that you shy away from it. We have to be our own advocates and we have to be empowered to take charge of our own health. And that is what this episode is all about. But before we jump in a little bit about Nicole, her mission is to help women in their 20s and 30s reclaim their hormonal health and feminine vitality naturally. She is a certified women's health and functional nutrition coach with a specialty in hormonal and reproductive health and has completed a ton of education in women's health. She knows her shit. And you are gonna see what I mean when we get into the episode. She coaches women one on one and also has a bunch of self guided programs and protocols and creates a ton of free content on social media, on her podcast, on her Facebook, and it all empowers women to reclaim their bodies and their health, which you know I am all about. As always, let's feature the review of the week before we get into the episode. This week's review is from PB and Jules. She says, Amazing. I've been following Marie on Instagram and YouTube for years and was so excited when she announced this podcast. Every episode provides such great insight, and I love her attitude in regards to living a healthy, balanced, realistic lifestyle. We don't see enough of that on social media. Totally agree. Not to mention, she has the best personality, thank you, and is super entertaining to listen to. Glad you like my dad jokes. Definitely one of my favorite podcasts, and I cannot wait to hear more episodes. Love you, Marie. Wow, I literally could not ask for better feedback. So thank you so much. And I love you too, Jules. As I say all the time, this show is really a labor of love and I so enjoy the process of creating it for you, but it's for you. So I never get tired of hearing that you find it helpful or inspiring or you like my jokes or you find it entertaining or whatever else. So if you feel the same way Jules does, I would love if you took a minute to leave a rating and review on the Apple podcast app or on iTunes, on your computer. It's so easy to do, and it's the number one thing that you can do to support this show and help new people find it and help us climb those iTunes charts. Obviously, this show is totally free for you to listen to, so leaving a review is an easy way to support it in another way, and I just appreciate it so freaking much. Oh, and PS, you guys, I'm getting over a cold today, so if my voice sounds a little funny... That's why, but I was not about to skip this interview because of a little cold, so the show must go on. And with all that out of the way, let's jump in to today's episode. We're talking all things personal development, including health, fitness, confidence, relationships, and so much more. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's jump into today's episode. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for being on the
1: show. I'm super, super excited to
0: talk like all things periods
1: today. Yay! Me too, Marie. Thank you so, so much for having me on. I can't wait to jump into this. Yeah, I'm excited. And I
0: know that everyone listening is going to get so much value out of this. But before we jump in, can you just give us a rundown on who you are, what you do, and what brought you to
1: this specific field of expertise? Oh, yes. Sure thing. So my name is Nicole Jardim, trying to be all formal here. (laughs) And I am a women's health coach. And I got into this a long time ago, although I didn't even know that I was getting into this at the time. You know how that is. You kind of fall Mm -hmm. into things. And quintessentially, I was a teenager. Obviously, we all were, but (laughs) a teenager with major period problems. And at the time, it was one of those things that was so normal, I remember my mom saying to me that she was in bed for two or three days out of the month every month with debilitating period pain. Oh my gosh. And so I technically had it easy because <laughs> it was only one day out of the month. Oh, gosh. But you know, not only did I have really bad cramps, but I also had really heavy periods to the point where, you know, I was really scared to go to school because, you know, as a teenager, if you leak through your school uniform or your clothes, like you may as well just die on the spot. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so that's what was going on for me. I had terrible. terrible. Terrible teenage moods, you know, all kinds of issues like terrible bloating, like just exhaustion. That whole time of the month, really, it was for the birds. I could have left it, and I remember sort of enduring this for a good amount of time, and then ended up where my period would not come every month, and I didn't know what was going on there either, and I didn't really talk to anybody about it because again, I assumed it was the norm for me and for everyone else, and so eventually, I got to the point where I was getting my period every three or four months, and I said this to my mom, and finally, we just. I would just go to the gynecologist and I went and she said to me within probably about five or 10 minutes, well, I think the birth control pill would be your best solution here. And I was kind of gunning for that. I know. Right girl. I was gunning for it because (laughs) everybody else was on the pill. Yeah, totally. Totally. (laughs) You know, right. Obviously. And I also remember thinking if I could just find something, I was looking for the magic bullet. I was so pro medicine back then. It's hilarious. When I think back to all the things I wanted to fix with my body. And I thought that medicine was going to do that for me. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so misguided, but I went on the pill and it actually really was my period penacea, so to speak, because I had all these symptoms and then they sort of disappeared within two months. I mm. suddenly had light periods and I had a period every single month, you know, quote unquote period. And my periods were no longer heavy or painful. I could literally go to the beach on my period and everything was fine. So this as an 18, 19 year old person was life changing and life affirming I was on the pill for about five years and I had a good year and a half or so and then things started to go all haywire. I realized after the fact, probably a couple years ago, that I must have gotten mono in college and didn't know what that was and nobody ever told me and I didn't go to the doctor because I just thought I had a three-week flu. (laughs) Yeah. Stupid. Anyways. And it was really then that was a turning point for me. I realized that all of the slight symptoms I had on the pill suddenly were magnified to the nth degree. And I suddenly started having this terrible joint pain. My hair was falling out in huge amounts. I started developing melasma all over my face, which typically shows up when you're pregnant. Yeah. I know. Real fun, huh? At 22. (laughs) And all kinds of things. Like sex became painful. I had these chronic UTIs and yeast infections. My gut health was a disaster. I remember just being sick all the time, just feeling like things were generally not well. Mm -hmm. And this went on for a number of years. And then finally I saw an acupuncturist on the advice of a friend in college and she was like, you just need to see this guy. He's great. And so this acupuncturist was the first person after seeing all of these doctors about all of these seemingly unrelated problems that said to me, well, you actually could be having all these problems because you're on the pill. Mm -hmm. Hello, light bulb. What? Yeah, It was a shock to me because nobody had ever said anything like that before. And so that was kind of the beginning. Beginning of the end of my relationship with conventional medicine. <laughs> and at the beginning, obviously, of a whole new life. And that was really where I started to shift everything and realized that I was much more passionate about this than I was about film production, which was originally my passion and what I was studying in school and what I was getting into in my work life. And eventually I got to the point where I wanted to move to New York. I wanted to go to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition to be a health coach. And that was my impetus right there. And I moved to New York. I went to IIN. And then I did a whole bunch more training in specifically women's health and functional nutrition, and here I am.
0: (laughs) Very cool.
1: Many years later. I think it's
0: so interesting how pretty much everyone I've talked to that's like a women's health expert, it's always because they've had massive struggles themselves. And like that is what has been the spark that made them super passionate about it and just wants to help everyone else with the same things.
1: Yes. I remember I was probably finishing up IIN and thinking if I could just help one woman not go through the craziness that I went through, then my work here is done. And here I am. am. (laughs) Many thousands of people later, I imagine. So
0: how did you hone in on Period specifically? Like when did you create the
1: title of the period girl? That actually was created for me, which is so funny. (laughs) I never called myself that, but I would have friends or friends of friends or people who'd been referred to me who I didn't know say to me something along the lines of, so my friend, so-and-so said to me that you're the period girl or you're that period girl, or you're the girl who helps fix periods. And (laughs) I just kept hearing it so often that I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll just keep that little moniker because it's so cute. Yeah. And it kind of cracks me up because that's really what I've been referred to on so many occasions. And so I was certainly given that name. I didn't come up with it, unfortunately. <laughs> I love that. I'm just so passionate about it. It's so weird too, because sometimes I think like, how did I get to this point? This is so crazy. Right. But I am so passionate about it because if I had had someone like me or like any one of us really, who is involved in health and wellness and really sees things from a different perspective, far removed from the conventional way of, doing medicine. If I'd had someone like me or you or anyone really at that age, back when I was 16, 17, just kind of giving me some advice on what the heck was actually going on, Mm -hmm. I think my life would have been completely different. Although I wouldn't change it for the world because I do this work and I'm very, very grateful, but my life would have changed immensely. And obviously not everyone's going to get into the health and wellness world. So we need people like us to be guiding people from a younger age onwards. And even women who are in their early forties haven't got a clue about what's going on with their bodies. I've had so many women say, to me, I had two babies and I still don't know anything about my period. (laughs) Like, wait, what? Mm, Yeah. So yes, that's really what drives me more than anything. Yeah. So why do you think there is such
0: a lack of knowledge, maybe even a lack of ownership for our bodies and our periods specifically? Like, why is that such a lacking area?
1: Oh my goodness. Where do I even begin with that one? (laughs) You know, I... (laughs) I think that there's a recurring theme in the lives of most of the women I encounter. You know, they have all these symptoms the PMS and the heavy periods, or maybe no periods at all. But they don't know what any of it means. And Mm -hmm. I think also too, they don't know what to do about them. So I feel like they don't know because we've never been taught the basics, like the periods and hormones 101 class that just never existed. And it really should, it should be basic education as far as I'm concerned. And I just feel like our bodies have been trying to tell us something in their own language for a really long time. And because we live in such a patriarchal society that is so, so hell bent is what it feels like on abstinence education and just not providing the right education around how our bodies actually work. Yeah, just turning the other way, right? Yeah, exactly. So sex education is one thing, but education around biology in a practical way is a hundred thousand percent lacking in our society. It's insane. And mm-hmm. you know, parents say, "Well, isn't it the school's job to be educating kids about this stuff?" And the school's saying, "It's the parents." And it's really a cons- Effort, people. <laughs> like it's necessary right. that we're all involved in this conversation. And I mentioned this on Instagram recently, just about Holland and how their sex education is so ingrained in their entire system, and it starts from a really young age, like kids in preschool, essentially. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, or at least pre kindergarten, like four to five. I think it starts around age four. Obviously, we're being appropriate with the four year olds, but yeah, you know, we're not talking about intercourse, but obviously, we're talking about just basic biological functions and basic anatomy and I think that people are so scared to broach this subject with their children, Mm -hmm. and then it becomes even more mortifying when they're 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, and then you just shut down and don't say a word, right? Yeah. We all have been there. Right. So what's so cool about Holland is that their statistics really show that this works, right? So their teenagers, a significant amount of them want their first sexual encounter. They don't regret it. It was a safe environment for them. Also, their teen pregnancy rate is practically next to nothing. Wow. And people get pregnant when they want to there. They have a whole host of stats on how positive an experience their sexuality and sexual relationships with others are. Whereas it's a very different story in the US. And I think that that's fundamentally connected to the fact that we're not in tune at all. And I think that is further exacerbated by the fact that we live in the Western world where we don't have any traditions around periods. There's really nothing that we do as a society to support girls as they're going through puberty and getting their periods. You know, I've asked that question so many times. Like, what was your first period experience like? And this one girl said something about how she was in a white bikini on a boat in the middle of a lake for a friend's 12th birthday party. mine is so similar to this. Wow. Really? (laughs) Yeah, I'll have to tell Oh my gosh, I'm haunted by this poor girl's story. You should definitely tell us the story on this podcast. I wasn't in a white bikini, but (laughs) I was in
0: Florida visiting my uncle and my uncle is gay. So I was visiting him and his partner with my friend, I was going into like, I think the sixth grade, maybe she had never gotten her period, I had never gotten mine. And we took their boat out for the day into the Gulf of Mexico. And we took their boat to this island to have lunch and like stopped and got lunch. And I got my period on that island. Like I had no supplies. Even if I did have supplies, I would have had no idea how to use them. So I get my period like on this island, I'm stranded. It was like so traumatizing.
1: Oh, that is horrific. I can't even imagine. You know, it can only get better from there, so. (laughs) Well, this is it. It's so true. I mean, this other girl said she cried for the entire day, basically wrapped in a towel. I mean, yeah. it was so traumatized. Yeah. But the point is, ultimately, is I feel like we're so unprepared for mm-hmm. this experience. And then because it's so shrouded in secrecy and shame, I think that that really sets the tone for so many of us for our period stories leading into our adult life. Isn't it so interesting how our culture
0: is very willing to like sexualize a woman's body, very willing to talk about it in- in a sexual way, but as soon as we want to talk about it in like an empowering way that is like health forward and all that, like no one says anything.
1: No, I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I also posted about that recently too, like a cartoon image of Victoria's Secret and then this woman trying to breastfeed and the cops oh were gosh. giving yeah. her a hard time. <laughs> Got exposure. It's absolutely ridiculous what we do. There's a lot to be learned, obviously, but what are like the
0: general buckets of information that women should know when it comes to periods and just their general lady health? We don't need to get too specific yet, but just like the general concepts that we should all understand.
1: I think that there are a few things. I think that we should understand first and foremost that your period's not just your period. It is a sign of your underlying health. I call it a barometer of your health. And I think that there's a lot leading up to your period. So your period isn't really the star of the show, even though we've been told that that is the case, that's the lore, but it's not. I would say that ovulation really is and ovulating consistently will lead to getting a period consistently. So that's one of, I think, the core tenets for women to understand is that ovulation is really what drives the hormone production, as in the estrogen, the progesterone, the testosterone in particular, mm-hmm. that's going to help you function Optimally, because obviously we don't make a lot of estrogen and progesterone and testosterone if we're not ovulating. And if we're not making those great hormones, our sex drives take a huge hit our energy, our focus, our brain function, our heart health, our digestive health. I could just go on and on. I feel like estrogen especially is the unsung hero and birth control pills. Yeah, Actually, I'll get into that later. But point is, is that these hormones are so critical for our health and turning off ovulation with a pill or something else Mm -hmm. is never a good idea. So I think that the other thing that I want to share too is that period symptoms are not normal. Yes, it's normal to have a little bit of moodiness and for your mood to change, which it definitely should. It does because your hormones are dictating that. But to have period pain to the point where you can't leave your house or your bed or the bathroom floor, to have periods so heavy that you're bleeding for 10 days straight, I could go on and on. Or to have a period that comes every 90 to 120 days. Yeah. These are not signs of balance. They are signs of something going on below the surface. And then I think the third thing is that every endocrine gland in your endocrine system, so the endocrine system is made up of a number of glands that are constantly spitting out hormones, and they're all talking to each other all the time. There are no secrets with the endocrine system. They're all communicating back and forth all day long. And it's unbeknownst to us, obviously, but it dictates or governs pretty much every single thing we do in our lives. I'm going to say 99%. Whether we feel hungry and want to eat, whether we want to have sex, whether we crave chocolate or whether we're thirsty whatever it is, we want to go to sleep, we wake up, all of that is governed. And so we really need to, I think, understand, have just a general understanding about that. Yeah, I think people,
0: when they think hormones, they just assume that that's like, oh, I'm feeling hormonal this month, which is really their estrogen, progesterone levels are changing, those sorts of things. But really your hormones are like everything, like hunger hormones, you know, awake versus sleep, everything is hormonal. And that's how your body cycles through life. That's how things are triggered. Yes, exactly. So, what would the world look like in your opinion if women were more in the know about their health and like more empowered regarding their health?
1: Oh man, uh, so much would be different. I think that more than anything, women would know that their hormones and their periods do not have to ruin their life (laughs) because I think that that's sort of the general misconception that floats around right now. And I think that we would live in a way or in a world where perhaps feminine cycle rhythms or the rhythms of a feminine cycle dictate the way that we function collectively. Mm -hmm. And right now it's the male pattern, which is way, Up, high cortisol, high testosterone, go, 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 go. And then they drop throughout the day and then the male winds down and then crashes for the night and then does it all over again. And so that's really the pattern I think that drives our world, which is so unfortunate. And I just think that it's super important to show women that their bodies are really working for them and not against them. Yeah. You know, our bodies are not broken Mm -hmm. and you don't have to see your body or your period as the enemy and that your body didn't just decide to rebel against Against you. If we were to understand, like have a fundamental understanding of how our hormones work and how our bodies actually function on a cyclical basis. I think our lives would be drastically different. I know my life is drastically different from having this information about myself, how my body functions uniquely. And so I think that there would be a paradigm shift in medical care because they would know what's going on with their bodies. They'd be empowered enough to have really educated conversations with their doctors to explain to them that this is how their body's working. And because they know what's going on, they would never feel intimidated. I mean, they would never feel like they should be pushed into taking a drug or a medication or mm-hmm. doing some kind of unnecessary surgery or procedure until they had really done their research. And I think that that's the problem right now is that we kind of think our bodies are speaking a whole other language yeah. you know, when they're talking to us. And it's true, technically they are. They're speaking in the language of symptoms. And because we don't know how to speak that language, I think that we're easily coerced into doing something that isn't necessarily the best decision for our health.
0: Right. So going back to those symptoms, I think a lot of people, as you mentioned before, just assume that they're normal and like periods are hyped up to be this catastrophic event that we have to dread every month. So what are like the different red flags that people should be looking for that are basically our body saying like, hey, something's not right here when it comes to our periods?
1: Okay, there's quite a few things and there's a norm for each of us and we have to determine that and the only way to determine that is to really Mm -hmm. become period literate, which I'll talk about, but that's the idea again of understanding what's happening with your period and your body based on your unique circumstances. So whether that's your lifestyle, what you're eating, where you live, if you have support from your family, if there's a lot of stress, etc. Well, the first thing is missing or irregular periods. So I hear this often. I hear from women saying that, oh, you know, I skipped a period this month or I skipped two or three periods a year. And I think that it's really important to say that when you're missing a period, whether you are not getting one like two or three times a year, Mm -hmm. that's a sign that something could be up. And if your period has been missing for three or more months consistently, that's the definition of that is amenorrhea when you have not had a period for three or more months. And that essentially means that you're not ovulating in almost all cases. There's some freak situations where some women are, actually ovulating and not getting a period. But yes, if you're not ovulating, you're not getting a period consistently or you're irregular, meaning that, you know, one month you'll get a period after 25 days. The next month it'll be 46 days. The third month it'll be 60 days. That kind of thing. When really you want to be looking in the range of 25 to 35 days. At least that's been my norm. Gotcha. But probably ideally 27 to 32. That's what I say. And then for like heavy periods is another one. It's, I mean, it's the opposite of what I just described, but essentially a normal period is defined as vaginal bleeding that occurs every 25 to 35 days, like I was just saying, and lasts for about three to seven days. And you want an average blood loss of about 30 to 50 milliliters. So this is basically a soaked tampon or a pad would hold about five milliliters of blood. And it's really fine to soak about six to 10 pads or tampons during each period. But if you are losing more than 80 milliliters of blood per cycle, or your period lasts longer than seven days, that's usually a sign that some Something is up. So it's more than seven days, you're changing pads or tampons, you know, more than every two hours each day, you need like a pad, a tampon or a period underwear or a cup or a combination of the things to control your menstrual flow. And, you know, you consistently leak through your products at night or you have blood clots. So all of these are signs, you know, blood clots that are the size of a quarter or larger. So that's a sign of something's up. And then On the flip side of that is really light periods. So that to me indicates potentially that there's just not a significant amount of estrogen building up to build that uterine lining or you're not ovulating consistently. And so you really wanna look at that too. So if your period is light pink in color, it doesn't really flow, it's more spotty than anything. That's also, I think, something to pay attention to. And then finally, behind all of this could be a lack of ovulation where you're just not ovulating consistently or at all. And you know you really have to become a bit of a period detective to figure out what's going on there and and we can talk about what one should do in order to be a period detective. But yeah, those I think are some of the main signs that we should be looking out for.
0: Yeah, what do you mean by a period detective? What does that entail?
1: Yes, so being a period detective entails becoming aware of the symptoms associated with your menstrual cycle. So it's obviously not just your period. And usually what I have women do from the get-go is download an app to their phone and start tracking symptoms of their fertility. And what that means is we would start with the first day of your period. So if you have already had your period for the month, then you go back and you look at the date that you started. If you don't remember it fully, just guess, but put that in there as the first day of your period. So that's the first thing that app needs. So it can tell you based on your history and it will continue to tell you more accurately when you're going to get your next period. So that's very helpful to know when your period is coming. I'm surprised by how many women have no clue about that. And I used to be one Surprise. of those people too, right? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I would go to the doctor and the doctor would ask me when my last period was. And I would fully guess every single time. I had no clue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. It's fine. It happens to the best of us. So yes, like that's the first thing. The next thing you want to do is add into your app how many days your period lasted, how heavy or light your period flow was on those days that you had it. Did you have spotting before your period, spotting after your period? What was the color of your flow? Was it red? Was it pinkish in color? Was it really dark red or purple or brown, all of those are signs and symptoms of something that could potentially be going on. And then leading into ovulation, which typically happens in the middle of your cycle after probably about seven to 14 days after you've had a period depending on your periods ended, depending on how long your period is and when you typically ovulate, that's when you're really looking for changes in cervical fluid. So that's another sign as well that we really have to be paying attention to. So changes in cervical fluid are dictated by our hormone changes. Estrogen starts to build in that first half of your cycle and your cervical fluid will start to take on a wetter consistency throughout that time. I was definitely that girl who used to think I had some sort of yeast infection or something every single month because, right? (laughs) Yeah, I just had no idea
0: why any of that was fluctuating. And I was like, "Um, is this right? I don't know. But now I think it's really interesting. I'm like, oh, I noticed this today. I am in this phase, like that sort of thing. And I think it's really interesting, but maybe I'm also just like a nerd about this stuff. I don't know.
1: Yeah, we are, exactly. (laughs) I think think a lot of women are into it and then there are a lot who definitely aren't. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, Yes, so you really wanna be paying attention to that. Just so everyone knows, once you've ovulated, technically your cervical fluid will start to dry up. It will start to become more sticky and the consistency will be more on the drier side. And that's a sign that you've ovulated. So these are, again, really good signs to be paying attention to when it comes to your overall menstrual cycle and what's happening with your period. Mm -hmm. And again, like other symptoms too. Do you have acne? Do you have headaches? Do you have issues with your bowel movements? Are there mood issues? happening. All of these things can be tracked in an app and having that kind of data on yourself is so amazing. I can't tell you my niece, not my niece, she's not my niece, she's my goddaughter, but she's like a niece. Yeah. She just got her period. She's, she just turned 11. She got her period a couple months ago and she'd be mortified if she ever heard this, but (laughs) I told her to start tracking her period with an app immediately. And I just thought, oh my gosh, how cool is it? The kids nowadays actually can track their periods from the time they get their very first period. That is like a dream. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I wish I had that. Right? Do you have a favorite app that you recommend? I do. I use a couple of different ones because that's how I roll. Mm -hmm. I always feel like I'm trying new ones. But currently, I use Kindara, which I've used for many years. Okay, I use that in combination with the Wink to take my basal temperature, which we can get into. Mm -hmm. But I also recommend Clue. I've really liked using Clue. I also use the Daisy. So that's a Daisy Fertility Monitor. And so that in conjunction with their app, as well as a couple others, too, that I've found are really interesting. Glow and Dot. And there are actually quite a few more. I outlined them in a blog post that I wrote about period apps when I was experimenting with a bunch of them. Guys,
0: I will link her blog post in the show notes so that you can check it out and like read through everything. Cool. So, with those apps, they'll also tell you like when you're ovulating, things like that, like when your uterine lining is breaking down. Like, why are those things important to know? Because it's obviously important to know like when you're going to bleed, when you can expect your period, but also why is it important to know when you're going to ovulate
1: or when you can expect to have certain things happen? I think more than anything, it's important for our lives. And to build on what I said earlier about the male daily cycle versus the female cycle, we're so out of tune with. our bodies for reasons that we've already described. And I think more than anything, what women are craving is a reconnection to their bodies Mm -hmm. and really a sort of mutual understanding of how things work. And so for someone who is Essentially trying to get pregnant, let's say. It is really important that you know when you're ovulating or that you know when ovulation is coming because that is really the only way to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. We're really only fertile for about a day, maybe a day and a half every single month. And that is not a lot. Whereas men are fertile every single day of the month, which is slightly annoying considering (laughs) that we're responsible for birth control most of the time. But that's a whole other podcast. Oh, yeah, right? So yes, so many times I've seen that where women are trying to get pregnant and they are not getting pregnant and they don't understand why. And it's because they're missing their ovulatory window completely. Mm -hmm. So it's really critical that you have this information. This data is going to potentially be life-changing. Yeah. So I think that's the first thing is obviously for big things like that, fertility and wanting to get pregnant, it's very helpful to know. Mm -hmm. I think from a life perspective, it's really so crucial for us to be working with our Mm -hmm. cycles, to be thinking up our lives with our menstrual cycles and what's, normal for us. And so I always say to women that the way you eat, the way you move, as in the exercise that you're doing, how much time you're spending socially with people, how much time you're spending resting versus being out and about, all of that can really be maximized by how closely you are paying attention to your cycle. That's so interesting. It goes so far beyond like what people realize. Yeah. Your period's not just your period. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just so much more. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's really fascinating. And I think that, you know, we're better able to handle certain foods at certain times of the month. You know, we're much better at certain types of exercise, more, I'd say more hardcore exercise, I suppose, like maybe a CrossFit class or a spinning class or something like that during our ovulatory phase, when we have more energy, whereas when we're approaching our period, we really want to slow it down a bit our brains function differently. It's an incredible. Actually, there's a lot of studies showing how estrogen and progesterone affect our brains at different times of our cycle. I mean, it's just fascinating. Like, we're so stuck in this belief that our periods and our hormones are a pain and I get it. Trust me, I get it. But you said it earlier, oh, I'm so hormonal. And that's what people think of. We do not have a positive association with hormones at all, which is so unfortunate right. because they're kind of awesome. I feel like hormones need a bit of a rebrand <laughs> <Yeah>. actually. <laughs> I feel like they really do because you know, men say things like, oh, she's just hormonal or she's getting her period or whatever. and yeah it has such a negative connotation to it. And really what it should be is that, yes, I'm so hormonal. I am going to go take a bath or I am going to go do this workout because this is a great time to be doing that. I could go on. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. It's super empowering to just have that knowledge and like understand how to work with your body instead of like fighting against it. I think it's really common in our culture, especially from a very young age, just be taught that you're at war with your body, whether it's like your period or the way your body looks or what size you are or body hair or stretch marks or whatever like we're always just taught to be at war with our bodies right yeah yeah definitely oh man
1: we really are i know (laughs) yeah it's a myth that we should be right Right. that our bodies don't work properly without a great deal of medical intervention. Mm -hmm. That kind of just gets me every time. But it's true. I think that one of the biggest myths that has been perpetuated against women is that we're just incapable of being healthy with Mm. little medical intervention. It's a travesty. So what are some of the most common triggers for period problems or just general hormonal problems within women? Yes, there are quite a few. And I think that, you know, again, it's not just for women, obviously. It's for all of us, especially men, because, you know, I was just reading this crazy article recently from GQ magazine, the title of it was called sperm count zero. Mm. And so I think it's really important to highlight the fact that men are also sort of at the whim of environmental factors that are potentially impacting them, not only on a physical level, like their sperm count and their sperm morphology and things like that. There's just so much that's affecting us right now. And I think that it's a bit of a perfect storm kind of situation at the moment, because obviously we're living in this unprecedented time of psychological stress. Mm-hmm. And then there are the environmental toxins. And that was what the GQ article researchers found. I mean, they did studies over many years on tens of thousands of men. And they said that, you know, from the time that plastics really made their big debut, which was in the early seventies, from then on, we have lost almost 70% of sperm counts. Like wow. it has dropped 70% since 1973. So in just under 40 years, well, not 70, sorry, 60%, it's it's been about a 60% drop. Wow. Yeah. We've gone from 200 million on average to about 47 million. It's pretty terrifying. That's crazy. Yeah. Wait, is that right? Sorry. A hundred million, <laughs> not 200, <laughs> Yeah. hundred million to about 47 million. So yes, like over 50%. It's really terrifying. And this is, goes of course for women too, obviously, but I just want men to know that you're not excluded from this guys. Oh yeah. So anyways, the environmental toxins, our diets obviously have played such a huge role. I mean, just the deterioration in the food that we're eating in general not by choice and then by choice and i'm not blaming anyone but everyone you guys know what's good for you and what's not good for you for the most part lack of sleep is another really critical factor i think that has been really overlooked and i know that you know you'd mentioned too like dieting and body fat levels. Yeah. I think our diet culture has done a massive number in our hormones. This low fat thing that we all started back in the eighties, I think has been so detrimental over decades. Mm-hmm. I still see it. I still see things like this thing has so-and-so calories in it. In New York city, they have to write the calories next to everything that is on a menu. Yeah. I see that. And I see a lot of things on menus with low fat, this and that. And I'm like, wow, are we still doing that? That's mm-hmm. really still a thing it's so crazy i must live in an insane bubble <laughs> so there's that and then there's lifestyle factors so there's the city that you live in is it really polluted is there a lot of noise pollution and light pollution how much time are we spending sitting down and in front of a computer staring at a screen or staring at our phones are we even talking to people every day are we getting hugs yeah i think about hugs a lot because hugging releases oxytocin which is that love and bonding hormone that's released when you first give birth and you know you'll have it in higher amounts when you first give birth and at any other time in your life and you need about eight hugs a day to maintain oxytocin levels. Oh my gosh. That's a good chunk, right? Yeah. Not a lot of us are doing that. Our physical touch is really lacking, I think, in our society. And oxytocin is interesting too, because it actually drops quite significantly in the second half of your cycle, which mm-hmm. makes you kind of want to be a loner, <laughs> or it makes you want to just have lots of hugs from someone, <laughs> or you want to be a loner. And then five minutes later, you want hugs. And so that creates a lot of problems in your relationship. Yeah, I've yeah. so been there. So yeah, like there's all of these things we just don't take into consideration. And I think that more than anything, it's sort of the life stressors that we run into. And the idea that these external things are having such a massive impact on our internal landscape, our hormonal landscape. Mm -hmm. And usually that's because our brain is the epicenter of everything in our bodies. And our brain is perceiving all of these signals all day long. And our brain then has to translate all of that. And the next line of defense is our adrenal gland, So our adrenal then take that and decide whether they're going to go into fight or flight, or if they can just put that aside and disregard it for right now. And so what is happening on, I think it's about 50 to hundred times a day, our brain gets a signal like that where our adrenals kind of get kicked into gear a little bit, sometimes a little bit like, you know, you're walking down a street and someone comes up behind you and it gives you like a little bit of a scare or you're driving on the highway and you have to suddenly break because someone, there's been an accident right in front of you or something. Mm-hmm. So there's all of these signals and they range obviously in seriousness, but our adrenals are feeling that every single day. And then our adrenals are talking to our thyroid and they're talking to our ovaries and they're saying to our thyroid, well, you might want to slow it down a little bit right now because we need to conserve our energy because we're in a sort of life-threatening life or death kind of situation. So this is how they recognize it. And so our thyroid says, okay, we'll do that. And so our thyroid slowly starts to downregulate and it doesn't happen to everyone, but some people who are really predisposed, Exposed to thyroid problems, end up with hypothyroidism, for instance, or some other kind of issue, like maybe Graves' disease, which is, you know, hyperthyroidism. So it just depends. Mm-hmm. And then like your ovaries, your portal ovaries. <laughs> I call them the canary in the coal mine because for women, especially, and this is what's so great about having a woman's body or a female body, is that your ovaries, they're going to recognize this faster than any other part of your body, in fact. And like I said, I call them the canary in the coal mine because. For people who don't know that analogy, back in the day, before we had great technology, coal miners would take canaries down into coal mines when they were mining because a canary is so sensitive to those potential noxious gases that it would die really fast, long before the miners actually would notice that they were potentially being poisoned. And so if a canary died, they knew to get the hell out of that mine as fast as humanly possible. And I think that the same sort of goes for our ovaries in that period problems show up long before other things might show up or symptoms that are recognized by maybe your doctor. Yeah. That's why it's so, so crucial for us to have an awareness about what's normal for us. Mm -hmm. That's really the gist of it. Yeah. And that's also why it's so frustrating that the standard protocol
0: for or when you go see a doctor and you're having period problems as they put you on the pill. It's just so, so, so crazy making because it makes no sense and it solves nothing. So if you're cool with it, let's shift gears and talk about birth control.
1: Yes. Okay. Let's do it. What do you want to know? <laughs>
0: Well, why is it a problem? We've already talked about this a couple of times, but why is it a problem to be prescribed birth control for period problems? And we'll get into birth control for like contraceptive stuff later, but why is it bad to just go on the pill because you're having period problems?
1: When you're put on the pill, when you have period problems, I liken it to essentially knowing that the fire is raging, not even knowing necessarily, just feeling the heat a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the fire is raging and you just turn off the alarm, essentially. You've just turned off the fire alarm and you're just going to let it keep raging underneath the surface. And you just close the door (laughs) essentially and walked out the door. And I think that that's really what it is, is that again, coming back to this idea that your ovaries are the canary in the coal mine. They are specifically telling you something is up. And what I hear so often from women is that they think their bodies are broken or they've been told that everything they're experiencing is completely normal for whatever stage they're at in their lives. Or they feel that you know they're somehow defective and this is only happening to them. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, all of you who are listening, this is happening to a lot of people. Trust me, we're just not talking about it. Yeah. So what happens is, I said this before, it's a myth, right, that has been perpetuated on us that we have been led to believe that our bodies don't work properly. And because of that, we need to have some kind of medical intervention. And I can't tell you over and over and over again how many women have said to me, well, I have to be on the pill to regulate my period. I have to be on the pill to get my period. I have to be on the pill so I don't have acne or I have to be on the pill so my period comes every 28 days or whatever. Mm -hmm. And usually what I say to that is that you are basically taking a powerful synthetic hormone every single day and it is completely hijacking your own endogenous hormone production. And as a result, you were creating a whole second tier of problems, essentially. And I'm certainly not blaming anybody. I'm just making it clear that it's not okay. I don't think that this is an okay way to be dealing with women's health. Right. So ultimately, what tends to happen, and I can give many examples of this, is that you come off the pill 10, 15, 20... 25 years later in some cases, Mm. and you have not ovulated for that entire time. So you likely have estrogen, progesterone, testosterone levels that are potentially at menopausal ranges because your body's really not been making them for that long. You've been taking a pill that has synthetic ethanol estradiol, which is fake estrogen, and then progestin, which is a fake progesterone, And those physically, their makeup is not the same. So you basically have just had these hormones circulating throughout your body instead of your real hormones for a really long time. And what I find is that if you went on the pill because you were diagnosed with PCOS 15 years ago, you still have PCOS and you weren't actually addressing it at the root cause. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the fundamental problem is that we are just treating the symptoms, we're band-aiding them, and we're not actually looking at the lifestyle and what's going on with our chronic overstimulation or what's happening with our diet or what's happening in our relationships and you know I could go on. Yeah. So that's really ultimately the problem.
0: Yeah, do you think that birth control is so overprescribed for abnormal periods for PCOS? I have so many clients that come to me for fitness coaching and they just casually list that they take birth control because they have PCOS and think nothing of it because their doctor thought nothing of it. Do you think it's because the doctors literally don't know, they're not taught it? Or do you think it's because they don't have time to really address the full problem? Like, why is this happening?
1: Yeah, I think it's a combination of things, actually. And I think that the first thing is that, yes, doctors are trained in a certain way and there's nothing wrong with it. It just doesn't work for long-term health problems. And that's really where the system I think is broken. And so I don't blame them. I blame a system that's set up to not take care of people. It's more just to manage illnesses and certainly not a sustainable solution, which as evidenced by the fact that we are at the point where our obesity is higher than it's ever been before. Mm -hmm. Diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, cancer. I mean, I could go on, Right, you know, this, everybody kind of knows this. We know the facts, the writing is on the wall. And I think it's also a combination again, of this lack of body literacy of period literacy of understanding why our bodies are actually quote unquote rebelling against us, right? Because that's really what it feels like. So I think it is a multifaceted approach, but ultimately doctors don't have enough time to deal with this stuff. I mean, this is really not their role. You know, this is why I love the approach of Chris Kresser, who I did a training with three years ago, in functional nutrition and medicine, and his latest book is really centered around shifting that paradigm and introducing health coaches into the medical systems. Ooh, I love that! Yeah, it's great. It's so fantastic. And the idea here is that we can work in tandem. I just feel like health coaches and other allied health professionals are not the enemy here. That doctors certainly play a role, mm-hmm. but we need to have a more sustainable solution for long-term healthcare for people.
0: Yeah, I always say that doctors and like emergency rooms, for example, the really great at keeping people alive. They're really good at that, but they're not necessarily really good at
1: keeping people healthy and promoting better health for a long period of time. Girl, I could not agree with you more. <laughs> I know, seriously, I think about that all the time and I think back to my days when I was on the pill and having all these issues and just not understanding what was wrong and mm-hmm. I'd seen a dermatologist maybe two because I had this melasma on my face. Yeah. I had probably seen my OBGYN like maybe 12 times <laughs> and I felt like it was every other month. I saw a rheumatologist because of this joint pain that was so bad. I saw a GI doctor, I had a colonoscopy mm. and every single one of these issues is linked back to being on the pill. You know, again, it's so siloed, right? Like everyone is treating something that's completely separate. To me, that's modern medicine's biggest flaw, is that we are not looking at the body as a whole at all. And it sounds so basic, but it's true. We're not at all. And we've got this one size fits all approach to medicine or to taking care of people. And it just doesn't work that way because of genetics and lifestyle differences and differences in our diet. And you know, I could go go on. But that's really, I think, a problem.
0: Yeah, so going back to birth control specifically, we already said it'll shut down ovulation and it'll basically replace your natural hormones with exogenous hormones. What are some other like risks or side effects of being on hormonal birth control?
1: Oh my goodness. Okay, there's quite a few and I obviously don't want to freak people out, but I think that it's really important for people to understand this. Yeah. There's yeah. a couple of things. I think the first is that there is evidence that indicates that hormonal birth control as in the pill specifically or over-the-counter contraceptives Not over the counter. (laughs) sorry, Mm -hmm. oral contraceptives. Oh my gosh, where's my brain going? Those deplete certain minerals and vitamins. So things like magnesium and selenium and zinc and phosphorus, as well as certain B vitamins. And so these are really critical for a variety of things. So Mm -hmm. magnesium is great for healthy bowel movements and for period pain. And B6 is great for PMS symptoms and supporting mood and reproductive function. So there's a lot of things happening here and it makes sense when you think about the fact that oral contraceptives have been linked to depression and even suicidal tendencies in women, especially in teenagers. So there's that whole component. And then there's the gut health component, which really struck me because I had so many gut health issues. And I hear this over and over again. Mm, Maybe it's a chicken and egg thing because, you know, did the gut health problems cause the hormonal imbalance in the first place or did the pill cause it? But I think what's important is that once your gut flora is altered, that affects your hormone regulation, your HPA act Access, which is your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So it's the conversation between your brain and your adrenals and your body's ability to detox properly. And so there is research that shows that the pill and its connection to Crohn's disease and an inflammatory bowel disease is definitely there. So if we potentially had a predisposition to chronic gastrointestinal diseases, then you're three times more likely to develop the condition, for instance, Crohn's. So if you've used the pill and there's others too, like oxidative stress. So there's a study that found that women on the pill have higher what they call lipid peroxidation. And so this is where they measure oxidative stress. So there's that. And then there's also insulin resistance as well. So it can actually cause blood sugar issues too. And so we could be in a chronic state of blood sugar imbalance just by being on the pill. And then there's hair loss. Oh my goodness. This was my big thing. And I hear this a lot. And it's interesting because I'd said this before, progestin, which is that fake progesterone, is actually more more structurally similar to testosterone than it is to progesterone, wow. which is why it could potentially trigger this hair loss. I mean, these are like huge. When we talk about the depression mood part of things, that women basically taking the combined birth control pill, so that's the estrogen and progesterone, were nearly 25% more likely to be diagnosed with depression than those using just the progestin-only pill. Oh, sorry, they were 25% more likely to be diagnosed with depression. And then the women using the progestin-only pill, so that's, they call it the mini pill, mm-hmm. because too much progesterone can trigger depression, were 35% more likely to be diagnosed with depression. So, you know, there's a lot of different effects. I mean, not to mention teenagers, like they actually were even more affected by those pills when it came to their mental state and whether they would be diagnosed with depression or not. Yeah. Finally, I've seen this a lot as well. And I think it's important to just highlight it really quickly is that the birth control pill can really affect your thyroid. It can deplete zinc, which I had just mentioned is one of the minerals that it can deplete. And you really need zinc in order for your thyroid to work properly as, in to basically helps make and activate your thyroid hormones. And then of course, the B vitamins are also pretty critical for that as well. So what ends up happening is that being on the pill disrupts your thyroid in a couple of different ways. So it can interfere with the conversion of the inactive thyroid hormone, T4 into T3, and it can interfere with how your body's actually using the thyroid hormone that is made. And of course, as well as how it's made in the body as well. So there's a whole host of issues with multiple parts of our bodies. It's not just our ovaries, for instance. And mm-hmm. I think that that's really you know the misconception is that it's going to address the period issues and it has no impact on any other part of our bodies, but that's just not the case. Right, that doesn't just exist in a vacuum. Like everything is connected. (sighs)
0: Exactly. I know. I love to say that, right? Hormones don't exist in a vacuum. It is so true. Everything is so connected. But I'm sure a ton of women listening are now like, what the heck have I gotten myself into? Like, How do I get out of (laughs) it? I've made a huge mistake. So what is the general protocol? I know it can be super involved, but what is the general protocol for getting off of hormonal birth control? And what can women expect if they
1: now are interested in getting off of it? obviously it's a different for different types of birth control. When it comes to the pill, that's one of the things that you can stop at any time. And again, you must consult with your doctor. I highly recommend you do that. However, just know that your doctor is going to give you a lot of pushback likely if they are pro birth control pill. Mm-hmm. But yes, like you can come off of that at any time. And some people like to finish the pack. I get that. I did the same. So you can do that too. And I think that this is so terrifying again, and it comes back to what you'd said earlier about us just not knowing our bodies at all and and really not understanding them. So what does this mean? And what is going to happen to my body? Especially because it's probably about 58 to 65% of women who are on the pill are on it for symptoms, symptom control, mm-hmm. which is amazing. That's like more than women who are on it for birth control. So I understand this fair, but I think what women need to understand is that you are literally fertile for one to two days out of every month. Like You can handle this. Like Girlfriend, you have got this. Yeah. Like you can get to know what is going on with your body. I highly recommend you take that last pill, you get an app, you start tracking your cycle, you use condoms because... We're all grown ups and we can do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe not everyone's grown up listening to this, but we all know how to use a condom. Or if you don't, you should learn. If you're sexually active, you should know how to use a condom. Right, right. Well you should. I don't know. Maybe that's not true for everybody. But the idea here really is to not fare your body, is to just go into this process with an open heart and an open mind and really pay attention. Pay attention to the things that you've thought were so normal. Like, mm-hmm. are you constipated for three days in a row? That's definitely not something that you should be happening every couple of days. Like You should be having a bowel movement every day. So things like that. Like What did you think was normal that maybe isn't normal? And when you come off the pill, if you've been on it for symptom control, there's the likelihood that those things are going to come back. And that's why I created the birth control protocol, my fix your birth control protocol, because I really felt that women needed to have something to help guide them when they came off of the pill or some other kind of hormonal birth control, because it is really daunting. So I just laid out everything in there. But again, the idea is... Is that you really want to focus on improving your diet, really look at your stress. Are you in a state of chronic anxiety? Do you wake up stressed out or feeling stressed out? Do you have trouble sleeping? Do you have trouble falling asleep, staying asleep? Or do you have trouble getting up in the morning? Do you reach for whether it's coffee or candy at 10 a.m. or 3 p.m.? All of these are signs that you are too stressed or that you know your cortisol is not where it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so we have to really start to pay attention to those things. This is so much more than just being on the pill, right? Yeah. That's kind of the issue here. But ultimately, if you decide to come off of it, that your body is potentially going to go a little haywire, especially if you've been on it for a long time. But just know that that's your body's innate response. It's what it's supposed to do right now as it sorts itself out. And giving it time and the right nutrients and the right supplements is going to be a game changer. Mm -hmm. So where can people find your protocol for this? Oh, it's on my website. So at nicolejardim.com forward slash programs, it's called the Fix Your Birth Control Protocol. Okay, cool. And it's helpful for anyone who is in various stages of this. So they're either contemplating coming off the pill or they've been off of it for maybe a month or maybe even a few months and they're experiencing symptoms. And I just outline specific blood sugar balancing techniques because blood sugar balancing is at the absolute root, I think, of hormonal imbalances because insulin is a very powerful hormone. You don't want to mess with it, mm-hmm. as well as supplement that will help address the main symptoms that come up, whether that's your period not coming back or your period being very heavy or supplements for acne and hair loss as
0: well. Cool. I mean, I'm not surprised with you, but I just love that it's very comprehensive and holistic and that sounds like a really great resource. And I want to touch on like alternatives to the pill too because now people are probably like, where do I go now? And (laughs) it's funny because when I mentioned, I think I said it maybe in like one of my YouTube videos and then on my Instagram story, I was like, yeah, I'm not on the pill. People are like, well, how do you not get pregnant? I don't like, what do you do? And I was like, guys, did you forget that like condoms exist? Let's be real. It's not ideal. Like ladies, it's not ideal. I'm going to acknowledge that. But they exist. Like we have options. So condoms
1: are an option. Are there any other options that you like to recommend? For sure. I mean, yes, condoms are definitely an option. And I have experimented with a lot of the women's health tech mm-hmm. devices. So that's to me is really, it's a very interesting time. I think it's very cool because we're at the point where so much is about to be on the market. And I think think that we're really shifting in the direction that we're going when it comes to fertility and you know how it is that we protect ourselves from getting pregnant if we're trying not to. Mm-hmm. And for me, I've used something called NFP, it's natural family planning or the fertility awareness based methods. I feel like this has been such a game changer and I mean, I've used it to really get clear on how my body works. And so for anyone who does not know what this is, essentially it's charting your fertile signs every single month. And like I said to you before, it's about charting your period as well as your cervical fluid and taking your basal body temperature. All that means is that you're taking your temperature the first thing upon awakening. And what people usually say to me, wait, what, Nicole? What are you what are you telling me right now? What do you want me to do? And I know that sounds weird and crazy to some people, but it's really cool because what it means is that your temperature is lower in the first half of your cycle before you ovulate, and then it rises after you ovulate. So this is a surefire sign to know Mm, that you have ovulated. it's kind of incredible. And I really highly recommend it as even if you don't use it for birth control. And again, I highly recommend getting training on this or working with a fertility awareness-based practitioner who is skilled in this department and can help you because again, it's been a game changer for me and just understanding all of this information about myself. I also think too, that there are so many devices now. I also use the Daisy fertility monitor and that essentially is something that is going to learn your cycle over time. You take your temperature every morning, same kind of situation. Actually, the daisy lets you be a little bit lax in how you take your temperature, which is nice. You don't need as much sleep as traditional fertility awareness methods. But what's great is that it'll give you a red light a green light or a yellow light. So the yellow light is for when your body is basically in that stage where it's learning your symptoms, and then the green light is a safe day, and then the red light is a not safe day. And so the not safe days would happen when you're ovulating. So the point here is that there are options. I mean, there's other ones too. I, you know, I've been talking to a couple others about ovuSense, which is something that you insert vaginally, and it will also get your core temperature. There's also another one called Mira Fertility. I've been chatting with them too. And they're just about to release their product. And that's actually testing your hormones every month, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. It's like a stick that you test your hormones. You physically test your estrogen and they're going to bring in progesterone soon and your LH as well. So it's telling you exactly the days that you are fertile. I mean, it's incredible. And again, these are not regulated actual birth control devices yet by the FDA. The one that has been regulated or has been accepted by the FDA for birth control is natural cycles. So that's another situation where you're taking your temperature and it's giving you a red light or a green light based on what day in the cycle that you're on so There are like a myriad amount of options that are coming on the line right now. And I think that as a society, we're really moving in that direction. And there are many ways for women to practice a more natural way of preventing pregnancy. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I love that we have so many alternatives. And I also think
1: bringing tech
0: into it kind of makes it more like exciting and sexy for people to like get interested in. So that's also a plus, (laughs) of course.
1: Yeah. Very much so.
0: Well, I think we could talk about this stuff forever, but if you're cool with it, let's move on to just like some fun rapid fire questions.
1: Sure. Okay,
0: cool. So what is, in your opinion, the
1: best and worst part about being a woman? Oh my goodness. I can't believe this question. This is great. (laughs) Okay. Let's see. Best part of being a woman is being a woman. It is so cool. We have this amazing cycle that happens every single month. And if we tap into that, our life can literally be beyond our wildest dreams. I don't say that lightly. Trust me, there have been so many things that have happened in my life that would never have occurred if I wasn't tapped in and Mm -hmm. like fully connected to my cycle. We're so exotic. Guys have nothing like this. (laughs) It's just the best thing ever. Yeah. I would say the worst thing about being a woman is existing in a patriarchal Mm -hmm. society. (laughs) It's just, I am so over it. Yeah. (laughs) Like ready. I'm ready for something new. When this whole conversation Havana thing came out last week and all that's been going on and the Me Too movement and everything else that's happened really over the last year and a half. I remember posting, you know, thinking about this a lot, obviously. But posting probably last week or the week before, it was an amazing post on Facebook that I copied from someone, but it was about what women do to potentially protect themselves from sexual assault. And, oh yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, and it was this professor, Dr. Katz, I believe his name is, and he was asking the men in the room what they do to protect themselves from sexual assault, and I mean, they all got really uncomfortable and kind of laughed and were like, "Is this really a is this a question?" Yeah. Yeah. Whereas women basically listed off like 40 things that they do. Mm -hmm. And I think that that really about sums it up is I'm ready. We're ready to disrupt this shit.
0: Yeah. I actually saw a tweet the other day and it was like, men are so lucky that we're seeking equality and not revenge. (laughs) so good. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, so true. So what is one thing that you wish you would have done sooner in your life?
1: Uh, Fix my period. (laughs) I really do. I wish I had gotten off the pill and really gotten into living a a healthier Mm -hmm. lifestyle sooner.
0: Obviously, this career is a perfect fit for you and you're like super passionate about it. But if you weren't a women's
1: health expert,
0: what do you think you would be doing?
1: Oh my gosh, that's great. I I don't know. I, I guess I've thought about that a little bit, but then I always come back to this and this is where I'm at. Yeah, I a couple of different things, I think. I love interior design. <laughs> I think it's so fun. So much fun. Yeah, um, I know, right? All of those kinds of things. I would also potentially do something like landscape design because I just love my plants so much. <laughs> <that's awesome. laughs> I love playing with them. I mean, the list goes on and on. I did a pottery class the other day. I'm like, oh, I could do pottery too. That would be yeah. so fun. Yeah. I I'd paint That's awesome. yeah
0: right it would be multifaceted for sure yeah I'm the same way I'm so interested by so many different things I'm like oh I could really do anything
1: <laughs> I know right seriously a shoe designer I mean yeah the list yeah, goes on
0: <laughs> for sure the sky's the limit <laughs> if you could go on a free vacation today like to leave today where would you go and who would you take with you
1: Oh, wow. Well, I would take Hayden, my partner in life and work and crime. And whoa, where do we go? I really want, I've really always wanted to just do like an around the world trip, to be completely honest. There isn't somewhere specific just yet, but Mm -hmm. yeah. That around-the-world trip has been very intriguing to me for a while. Yeah, my list is about a mile long, too, so I feel
0: your pain. Isn't it, though? <laughs> yeah. Oh,
1: man, I know. Life, it gets in the way of travel.
0: Right. Professional traveler. That's what we'd be. Yes. Like a travel blogger, maybe? Yes. That would work. <laughs> yes, that would be great last but not least because this is the grind and be grateful podcast we've got to know what is one thing that you are currently grinding toward and what is one thing that you are hugely grateful for
1: oh wow girl i am currently grinding towards a book Ooh, that is happening Exciting! it's just sort of like new news and i'll share more about it very soon but yes yeah, so that is what's happening there so that's going to make for an interesting next year and a half mm-hmm. <laughs> and grateful for. Oh my goodness. Grateful for this life. Honestly, I can't believe this is my life. I still... I think about this all the time and I have basically gotten everything that I wished for. I saw one of those memes the other day on Instagram or something, you know, the whole like, do you remember the days when you longed for what you have now or when you wished for what you have now? Yeah. Damn, do I remember those days? And I feel like I'm here and I have pretty much everything I've wanted. I can't, I really can't believe it. It's kind of a pinchable moment, I suppose. Yes. So thanks for asking that. I love to just say that out loud because yeah. I never really say it. I'm always so scared. Yeah. I'm like, Oh,
0: maybe not. I shouldn't say it. No, you should. Do totally say it and just celebrate that because that is so special. Thank you. But now that everyone is also in love with you the way I have been since I started following (laughs) you, where can they find your content? Where can they work with you? How can they stalk you? Oh, thanks,
1: Marie. You're so sweet. Okay. So you can find me on NicoleJardim.com. So that will have my programs, my blog, which is pretty extensive, as well as my podcast. So the podcast is called The Period Party and I co-host it with my friend and hormone whatever, yeah, counterpart. (laughs) I suppose you could say Nat Kringudis. And we release it once a week and we interview a whole bunch of people. So there's a lot on there as well. I think we have like a hundred and something episodes at this point. So there's all of that as well. And then I'm usually on Instagram. That seems to be the favorite place to be. So it's instagram.com forward slash Nicole M like Madeline Jardim, as well as on Facebook. And every week I do Facebook lives. It's a recap of the week in period news and what I blogged about and all the things I've learned. And so that happens every week on Facebook too. And it's also Nicole M. Jardim. So cool. Well, I love what you're doing and I just want to say thank you so much
0: for your time today. I know that I learned a lot and everyone listening, I'm sure, learned a lot as well. So thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much, Marie. So, so happy to be here. Appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah, guys, go give Nicole some love. Tell her that I sent you and we will see you in the next one. Before you go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for spending your time with me on the Grind and Be Grateful podcast today. I'm super happy that we were able to hang out and share some good vibes today. It would mean the absolute world to me if you could take one second to share this episode with someone who you think would love it, whether it's texting it to your friend, linking it on Twitter, or posting a screenshot on your Instagram story. It is all super appreciated. And please leave the show a show review on iTunes if you're enjoying it. Tell me what you think. Let me know what you want to hear more this show is for you so your feedback matters plus it would really help me out on my mission to educate and empower women everywhere to become their very best selves thank you again for listening and supporting the show and until next time don't forget to grind to be grateful my friends